Hello and welcome back to Powerlines, from Ukraine to the world, a podcast from Message Heard and the Kiev Independent. I'm Jakub Parushinsky. Each week, we're going to be analyzing the undercurrents of the war in Ukraine, bringing you analysis from across the globe to explain its context and consequences as the war continues. This week, as 2023 draws to a close, we want to take a look at how Ukrainians are holding up especially given the political turbulence of the last few months, both internally and internationally. 2023 was a difficult year for Ukraine. A lot of people expected that after the Kharkiv and Kherson counteroffensives, a whole host of Ukrainian successes would follow. But it actually turned out the other way around. The counteroffensive was difficult, it stalled, And meanwhile, Western support, which had been so united at the beginning of the full-scale invasion, has started to fritter away at the edges. There have been positives, to be sure, especially in the Black Sea, where Ukraine has pushed back the Russian Navy, it has retained Odessa as a port hub, and it's even managed to unilaterally open a grain corridor. And the economy has rebounded. Ukraine continues to function as a nation, as a society, as a country. But it hasn't been easy. Internally, the country has also changed, where once what we saw was an extremely united front, now politics is back in the conversation. We see that Valery Zeluzhne, the head of the armed forces, has quite a different view on where Ukraine is militarily and what the path should be looking forward than its president, Volodymyr Zelensky. Several politicians have thrown their hat in the ring, saying that they want to replace Zelensky as president. And we see criticism, which was once unthinkable, showing up in social media, on YouTube, and on Telegram channels. But what does the Ukrainian public actually want? They're obviously tired, exhausted by this grueling fight. But are they ready to stay the course? Do they perhaps want a change in leadership, new ideas, and new ways to move forward in order to bring the country closer to victory? To hear some more about Ukraine's current political situation, I wanted to speak to someone with an insider's view. So I got in touch with Mykola Davidyuk. Mykola is an author and a popular political scientist in Ukraine. He's advised many major political figures over the past decade and is now a key commentator on the war through his YouTube and TikTok channels. I asked him about how he's experienced 2023 politically in Ukraine and what he thinks are the likely next moves for Zelensky, his allies, and his rivals. So, we are here today on Power Lines with Mykola Davidyuk. Mykola, welcome. Hi, thank you for the invitation. One of the first images that came out of Ukraine at the beginning of the full-scale invasion was this video by Volodymyr Zelensky with the prime minister, his chief of staff, his head of party, and all of these other key figures around him. And the text of that was that, we are all here. He was showing the unity. He was showing that he had not left Kiev that he would defend the country. And this was a really huge signal that Ukraine is united against the Russian enemy. And people rallied around him, the world rallied around him. Fast forward almost two years, it feels like we're in a bit of a different place. You know, you've got 
people coming out and announcing their candidature for president. The international scene looks a little bit more grim. It's more difficult to make decisions. But also within Ukraine, it feels like the mood has changed. And the first question I wanted to ask you, has politics come back to Ukraine? You know, like, um, just start to answer your question. I think we're still all together here. But when the West concentrated uh, on figure of Zelensky and compared that with the Churchill, Ukrainians stayed strong and they concentrated on the state. And the West tried to see just the one hero with whom is easy to shake his hand and with whom you may make a selfie, with whom you may talk, you may invite him to your parliament, your office. And I think uh, West concentrated just in one person. And when appeared many other heroes, many other volunteers and uh, top generals, Many commentators started to talk, oh no, they're split, they're frustrating, and that, that is like a political competition. But I'm not sure about that. Yes, I, I see some, some drama and scandals uh, among Zelensky and some other people. And when politicians started to attack and defend their political field and their ratings, personal ratings. But if we are talking about institution or when we are talking about institution, the role of institution is more important than the names of the person who may sit on the top or who may rule that institution. And if we are talking about Ukraine, we need to mention that we are like a truly democratic society and uh, some media started to talk about uh, like a conflict and uh, among a politician and generals. But yes, like sometimes politicians try to defend their field and uh, trying to pressure in some militaries and trying to restrict uh, some of their possibilities. But I don't think that is like a big scandal or like a big drama for us. And uh, they're like... Militaries doing their job silently and uh, just uh, don't, don't take care what the politicians doing. They're just doing their job. And then uh, the result we can see on the monitors, 300,000 uh, killed occupants. So like that is their result. So, yes, we may feel that we started to speak more, uh, that we behave more on political side. But like I don't think that Ukrainian political life truly back on the stage it, like we don't have election we don't have like many media which we had before and uh, we are still mobilized on the war i think i think what you say about the western media's portrayal of the war is a very fair challenge they were lost i think completely lost at the beginning of the full-scale invasion it was so terrifying and overwhelming and they tried to find a narrative for it right and you know, Zelensky as the superhero, the Churchill of our times, you know, personifying the war via Zelensky himself is something that, you know, leads you off track. And the second thing that leads you off track is this kind of ebb and flow of the narratives, right? A year ago, Ukraine was a superpower and Russia was two feet tall. And everybody thought that, you know, the Kharkiv counteroffensive and the Kherson uh, counteroffensives would, um, you know, just be repeated endlessly until Ukraine got to the Russian borders. Now it feels like the table has turned by 180 degrees and everything seems a little bit desperate, that there is no hope at the end of the tunnel. 
And almost certainly the narrative is bouncing too far from one side to the other. But that being said, I think there's also a question about, well, you know, you've got the piece by Zeluzhny in The Economist, and you've got sort of the daily messages, which have now come out for 650 days or even more from Zelensky. And these seem at odds. And regarding the strategy, right? Regarding the way sort of forward. And I'm wondering, is this sort of one of the things that is driving what appears at least to be a certain level of conflict or discontent? You know, like if we are following that narrative about Churchill, so I think uh, maybe the goal just entered the room and like a real military (laughs) and like and Churchill started to feel a little bit uncomfortable. You mentioned that Zelensky didn't leave Ukraine, but in the same time when he had a space to call the presidents uh, to unite the world and unite Ukrainians sitting in his shelter, somebody fight on the same time. And I'm talking not about just the Zeluzhny, but about Ukrainian armed forces. That the guys uh, whom we forget creating that narratives, you know, because like not, not just the politician organized uh, that first days. So like, I think Zeluzhny and his people and the they are like the biggest heroes uh, in this war, but not the politicians. But uh, w- what I mentioned in the start, uh, when we are talking about institution, is much better in strategic way to keep institution that there are some names. I think the ratings is the worst uh, tool to measure your effectivity in there or to measure how excellent you are. Like during the war is like, uh, is quite stupid issue to use the polls, but that is a unique reason why the politicians and Zelensky started to nervous. The answer is a poll. So like, yeah. But I think they need to forget about the polls during this war uh, till the end. And the next day we will, uh, we will take a polls and uh, like, then we will start, start to talk. But, but during the war is like very harmful to the nation and uh, to the state. Just for our listeners, what you're referring to is, is sort of several polls, I think, that have come out, not quite publicly, but, you know, people have sort of seen or heard about them over the last sort of 18 months that shows that sort of trust in and support for Valery Zaluzhny has kind of grown and is high and in some cases exceeds Zelensky and others, it sort of challenges them. And I think that's a fair point to sort of call out that there is something more important. Turning maybe over to other politicians than you know the ones in the presidential administration, what do you make of the positions of Vitaly Klitschko, the mayor of Kiev, who has not just most recently, but sort of made various kind of efforts to stand out and potentially position himself for some kind of elections. Poroshenko, the former president, Aristovich, the, I guess, former now advisor to Zelensky, who has officially announced his candidacy. What do you make of those figures that have in some way or other sort of tried to bring up the issue of who's in power, how do you run the country, etc. 
I I think like during the war, we are talking about the candidates, but the worst issue for the candidate that we are not expecting election. Yes, we talk about that uh, during the mid of autumn and we talk and uh, expect for uh, maybe for spring. and uh, But now the situation on the battlefield is not so good and nobody guarantee you that, like, that you, you may organize that election. About the candidates, I think everybody of them, of course, want to be a president of uh, like young democracy, a young democratic state. And uh, during the war is like very respectful and they give you a lot of possibilities. You may meet with all the presidents in the world. But I'm not sure that the state has enough muscles and the power to survive in both processes. The first one is election, the second is a war. So how to keep and save the state during the war and election, we don't know. And that, when we're talking about election, looks rather as experiment on the state and on the democracy. Because what the Lindsey Graham said, like, you need to prove that you are a stupid democracy. But I studied political science and <laughs> I know that in political theory and political practice, we don't have uh, such a word as a super democracy. <laughs> we just have a democracy. You are democratic or not. Yeah. And we can't compare Ukraine with Russia because like some European politicians said, like mm, if Russia organized election, they are democratic. And if you are not, you are not democratic anymore. But Russia don't organize election like during 20 years. Yeah, that process, that mess, which they called election, that's not an election. That uh, how Episco said, that's just a bureaucracy. So uh, we can't be compared uh, with the Russia, who is like uh, truly autocratic, and uh, we can't also show that we are super democracy because like somebody won that in our constitution, uh, black and white, written that we are forbidden to organize election during the war. That was, was written by founding fathers of our state and our constitution, and they thought about that. So I think now we need to concentrate more in looking for weapons and the money and the political and diplomatical support in the West and Global South, but not like try trying to understand which candidate is better. Yeah. Of course, like we have a lot of candidates. We are a democratic state, but and but some of them like not working for Ukraine, like Aristovich, who like criticizing all the time state sitting in a Poland and uh, and just working as a popular activist and a blogger with like very tough pro-Russian narratives and like defending Russian language, defending many Russian issues here. And uh, about Klitschko, he's a mayor and uh, he's uh, responsible for the biggest city in the country. And that is not everything good with the city. Uh, with the comfort of life and so on, so on. And uh, we know that he's thinking about election, but he's just 1% rating guy. But his speeches in the foreign media, in the Western and like Germany's and Swiss media, as he is like 95% person, and uh, yeah. which is not true. And uh, also like uh, many bloggers and the singers and comedians want to be a president, but we have one big problem. We may win all the elections, but we may lose the state. And that is the biggest threat and the danger that uh, 
too much people thinking about election, but not so many people thinking how to survive during this war. I mean, personally, and I mean the state. Yeah. Yeah, uh, a lot of candidates is a good mark that we are democratic, but that is not a good mark that we so hard concentrated on the battlefield. I think that's fair. One sort of quick question here is, given that the narrative has been quite unified coming out of Ukraine to the world for so long, basically what we're seeing, is this a case where anybody who comes out challenging that narrative gets a disproportionately large platform. And basically, this is an opportunity. Anyone who sort of wants to be heard and seen, well, you know, you have an opportunity to do that now, just because the voices that were coming out of Kiev or other parts of the country were so, I guess, consistent. I think we just started to dig deeper and uh before we just like read the headlines and then now the people started to read all the articles about Ukraine. I think situation is the same. Yeah. And maybe some voices is louder and uh, yeah, yeah, that, that may happen. But if you're talking about the narrative uh, is we are truly united. Yes, we are as a society and political class, including the top generals, more united than the West are. Or we may also compare with the Russian society. Do they really so united uh, supporting the war as they was in February 2022? No. And uh, the question about our unity is the answer, do we survive in the evening when we wake up in the morning? And uh, if we are not united, if we are not together, if we are not fighting we have no chance to survive. So like the unity in the, is, is the answer of our surviving. So that's also like uh, important to mention that Ukraine trying to resolve many, many different uh, questions, including Russian church, which are the network of uh, Russian KGB spies. We are trying to resolve the question of language, of reforming a government and a political society. We're trying to reform economy. We are trying to look for money. We are trying to look for like political diplomatical support. In the same time, when the when our house is burning, we are still fighting against second world biggest army. So like we're trying to resolve so many questions. I also met a lot of people who are supporting Ukrainian language, who are supporting Ukrainian state, but at the same time they support Russian church. And such voices also quite loud and uh, we need to speak more, but we also don't have possibilities to speak about the church <laughs> in the time when we are fighting against Russian troops. Uh, so, yes, some voices uh, truly allowed, but that, that is an explanation that we are doing so, so much job. It's a very difficult. There's so many different challenges that Ukraine needs to address. One of the questions that keeps popping up, and it feels like that's something that's also changing a bit in Ukraine, is the question of to what extent should Ukraine have a offensive strategy in 2024. People talk about a peace plan, but that seems completely impossible. And, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, because, you know, Russia doesn't want peace, Russia doesn't respect peace, right? Any document that would be signed would have no value. But there is a question of trying to contain the fighting, to limit it. 
and to get more time for training, for additional weapons, to sort of bring down the intensity of the war. How do you feel that that has evolved in Ukraine? And how do you feel that also, you know, specifically, I'm wondering, is there a difference in between how Zelensky sees this and how Zelushna sees this? Because it feels like there's a little bit of a different perspective on that. Yeah, I think uh, perspective of well-trained military and the young politician is like, is different. And that's not bad. We're speaking about different uh, views and the different ideas, how to win and how to save the state and how to save our future and more people. And that what happened with the counteroffensive when Zaluzhny tried to save more lives and more weapons when he understood that not all the NATO tactics is working here and that not everything is working against Russia. I think that is a question not of public discussion and uh, that that is like uh, some some talks amongst politicians and top generals, Ukrainian and NATO generals, and uh, that that is a question about strategy and uh, how to win win now or tomorrow. And uh, but if the answer tomorrow, uh, we need also to have a strong uh, proposition for Ukraine for today. Because when uh, somebody started to speak, like what Wall Street Journal mentioned, in 2025, uh, you will have better position on the battlefield. Yes, maybe. But how to survive till that time? <laughs> yes, maybe like in 2035, we also will have like excellent position. But how to come to that point? And uh, like nobody may explain. And uh, if we reject uh, some support in 2024, expecting for better 2025, the day uh, may will not come. I think that's also like a big formula and uh, how much uh, weapons we may receive, how much money we may receive, uh, how many people do we have. Because strategically, I, I, I'm more than convinced that Biden right, that he's right, if Ukraine lose, strategically West also lose. And I think that's not just a fight Ukraine against Russia or Russia against Ukraine. That is a big, huge battle in this century among democracies against autocracies. The same in uh, among Hamas and Israel, the same China against their neighbors. Then I'm not uh, only like one island, uh, which are the state, but like also many other neighbors. The same North Korea against uh, South Korea and many, many others. So like we are living in a big uh, world battle, democracies against autocracy. So like, and if we not supporting the players of our team, how we think that we may win like we lose Ukraine, we lose another state, we lose uh, one more state, and then we will start to scream that like what's going on? We are losing the game, and uh, I think uh, that is a big mark who will win in this war, Ukraine or Russia, and that will create a trend globally who will win in this century. First issue, second, Ukraine must win, what Biden said. And as I know, they're thinking about a precedent and uh, which have to teach the dictators of future don't do like Putin. I think that wasn't enough to finish the story with Iraq, which wasn't a nuclear state. 
That was a good mark for many uh, different dictators not to invade in uh, weaker and smaller neighbors, actually what happened with Kuwait. But um, I think they need also to show an example what may happen with the dictators who has a nuclear weapon. The West need to show that they know how to behave with such kind of dictators. And that will be an answer uh, for this century. And, and the Biden, who is like a very experienced guy, and he is like very old school politician, and uh, he knows a lot of dictators personally, and he knows how to behave with them. So like, I believe that he will show the old-fashioned political leadership and, the, and show that democracy also may be strong. So there's a couple of points to, to unpick here. I think that it is important to recognize that this is, you know, the war between Russia and Ukraine is one that fans out across the world, right? And when Russia goes unpunished, other people may take the initiative and see like, hey, you know, I can do what I want as long as nobody can stop me. And, um, you know, I think it's fair to say that Russia is encouraging this kind of behavior wherever it can. The Middle East, uh, most recently, it looks like in Latin America with Venezuela and Guyana, there is also a conflict brewing. And Azerbaijan and Armenia, by the way, as well, um, a sign that, you know, if you cannot be stopped by force, then you might as well move and do what you want as long as you have the power to do so. Part of that story is that Russia has already switched to a war footing. They have already moved towards a war economy. The West hasn't and is struggling. You know, and, and Russia for unfortunately it seems like is holding up better than expected, at least at this point in time, although it's difficult to see what is happening under the surface. One of the things that Russia is doing is trying to use different influence operations you know, both within Ukraine and, and internationally. Maybe to start with Ukraine first, what do you see that Russia is doing that in order to try to undermine Ukraine politically, internally, morally? Is it still active there it is, as, as it has been for many years? Or how do you, how do you see that? I think Russia trying to spread out the chaos in the world. They are very irresponsible responsible people and their politicians not thinking about the world, what may happen with a nuclear weapon, with the climate change, uh, with uh, uh, border controls and like they are not building something. They are too weak to build something. They try to build uh, like left wing world, if you remember, to build a communism and they couldn't. And they tried uh, to build Russian empire and, and they couldn't. And they understood that they are strong side is not building their strong side is destroying is the destroying so like what they are doing now what they are like trying to promote is a chaos chaos everywhere and they building not strong pro-russian narrative they just building anti-western narrative and they trying uh, to provoke a global south and many other countries and to like, let's fight against US, let's fight against West. And uh, But in the same time, what Surko wrote in his article that Russia want to be a part of global West and they want to be like a global North. 
So like they they also afraid to fight against China because they know that China much stronger than Russia and they lost their chance to be stronger after 1991 and uh, after 2022 when they lost uh, strategically their war in Ukraine. I think Russia just trying uh, to spread out the chaos and uh, and their game is weak because like Russia is. Uh, post empire is like dying empire and uh, who has like very strong sentiment of past but don't have a strong vision of future and uh, comparing russia with soviet union soviet union had ideology that was like communism socialism and the, like left wing ideas and uh, they work with that in Africa and Latin America and Asia and uh, in many many other uh, parts of the world but Russia uh, don't have such idea is it right or is it left uh, they support or are they against you don't know and if you compare their messages in different parts of the world uh, is like in US uh, they support in Trump in Africa they are against Trump and uh, in Latin America depend of the state so they are state without position they just spread in chaos in Ukraine choose their side we said like we are a western state we are uh, want to be part of that we want to be part of EU we want to be part of NATO and if we are talking about uh, like a new wars which may happen this or next year Guyana and uh, uh, happen Israel. Yes, we see that Russia involved. Okay, but just to sort of bring it back to Ukraine, right? So what is it specifically that Russia is kind of pushing on? What are the, the levers that it's using? It, you mentioned the church. Uh, what what else is the its strategy vis-a-vis -vis Ukraine? Yeah, language split and also a mess. And uh, like they try and to blow up our mobilization and they try and to separate politicians, they try and uh, to spread out their propaganda. For instance, yesterday I wrote a blog on my YouTube and uh, just show how Zelensky moved to Argentina, how he met with Milley and uh, that was just, just a general stuff, nothing special, but like a hundred and thousand uh, comments on my YouTube page and they're like, they write in that that he come to take drugs, that he's like an old fascist and in the like 40s came to Argentina because he want to disappear. I think that all that people like is like Russian bots and trolls. So like they also try and to work with such narratives against Ukrainian officials about Zeluzhny, about Zelensky, about many other uh, Ukrainian leaders. So I think that church and language is a key and also fighting against mobilization is uh, top three. And uh, yeah, mm -hmm. that, that, that because like they can't uh, promote Russian party or pro-Russian party because they strike missile firstly in Kharkiv, in Chernigiv, and also their troops entered Kharkiv, Chernigiv, Kherson, um, Sumy, uh, which was like very pro-Russian regions. And now they are, uh, are not. So what they still have is like trying to split. So I think this top three is like real yeah. working and they invested there a lot of money, resources and people. Turning towards the next year, you know, I think it's fair to say that Ukraine has gone through a ton of misery and difficulties. 
not even just since February 2022, but, you know, the 10 years before that of, of war against Russia. But 2023 seems to have been particularly difficult. How do you see 2024? What are, you know, your the reasons for optimism? What are the, you know, the things that maybe, you know, the narrative has discounted too much? And there certainly are a lot of them. You know, um, I think Ukraine's victories in the Black Sea have been, um, you know, overlooked, certainly. But how how do you see the, the coming year? The next year will depend from two issues. First, will we receive money from U.S. and uh, how the Congress uh, may vote? That, I think, crucial. Second, is it like a long run in, in Ukrainian case, like the results of American election. Okay. A lot of things depend from the world leader. And uh, I, I think that is the most. We may do our home task and our home stuff and uh, like mobilization and uh, producing of Ukrainian weapon and uh, also like grabbing Ukrainian taxes and uh, every, everything is possible. is not like uh, impossible for us. But the most important is like a superpower stays in Washington. So like results of election and the money, I think everything depends on that. Is there a plan B? If things either with the money or with the election of Trump, I mean, to name the elephant in the room. That's depend. And uh, about money, we also need to talk more even now about sanctions against Russian money, uh, sovereign money and the money of oligarchs. We didn't receive any cent from that. And uh, we see like half a trillion bucks in Europe and uh, in US, but we still need to ask money and uh, some donations in, 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 in Europe or US. But I think we may pay for land lease by Russian money, which are frozen in Europe. Mm. So that may be a good plan B. But that is like a frank speaking among politicians. And uh, I'm not sure that European mates and the partners are ready to start that conversation. Many of them still believe that they will or would cooperate with Russia and Russian money. So like you, ne you need to choose. And uh, so, yes, I, that may be a good plan B because they had like a billion and billion dollars is like uh, uh, 400 billion dollars only in Europe. So like that's a good amount of money which may help Ukraine to win. Because what uh, Ukrainian generals, top generals said and, uh, in Ukrainska Pravda that to win we need uh, from 350 millions for 400 mil, uh, billions and uh, so that that is enough russian money to win so like we don't need to, to beg in money from european taxpayers american taxpayers just let us uh, to use uh, frozen russian money okay what about internally i think we started this conversation by saying that you know the media has relied too much on trying to build a narrative around the war but narrative matters Right. And, and it does matter what message you send internally, what message you send to the world. What would be your recommendations in terms of how Zelensky and his team and his institutions can shape the narrative going forward? I think we need to speak more with the global south and like to unite the world, not only the West, because Russia <laughs> spreading their propaganda and, uh, and we need to help to keep 
Western leadership in the world and uh, do that globally. And uh, this war must not be like a West against Russia or Russia against West. We need to unite all the world. So like our narratives have to be different in different parts of the world. You know, we can't be the same state everywhere because like we are also different and uh, we are post-colonial state which were occupied by Russia for 400 years. So with Africa or Latin America, it's easy to speak because we feel their pain and we know what they mean. And we need to show them our history. Also occupied colonized state. And they sometimes closer to us than to Russia because Russia sent them a message, just be anti-American, just be anti-Western. And when we come and uh, show them that we are like so close and we may be like uh, a good team. So we need to speak more in Latin America, Africa, Asia. Also, we need uh, to invest more in media and in a narrative about grain because we supported two years uh, under the war. We providing uh, a fantastic grain to Africa, but nobody appreciate that. It's like everybody thinks that is a Russian grain or when Russia stole like a hundred thousand tons of Ukrainian grain in Kherson and then moved that to Africa and said that that is a, like a donation from Russian people to African people. That was crazy because the grain was from Ukraine and GRC and in BBC wrote about that. That is horrible. So like we need to work more in diplomatical, political and media field and uh, just to show ourselves. And I think my message to invite more people to Ukraine, uh, mostly like the top political leaders as uh, Pope Francis and uh, Lula. If before we invited a lot of the people who support Ukraine, now we also need to invite the people who arguing against us even mr orban uh, we know how angry he is and how he trying to serve for putin but like we need to find his humanity and we need to show him what his friend did in ukraine truly did in ukraine the situation very similar what was among some left political elites in uh, europe who supported strongly soviet union but when some of them saw what happened in Solovki, in Gulag, they stopped to support that. So we also need to show the Gulag and Solovki like uh, what happened uh, here and now in Ukraine. So and I think we will change their mind and, and maybe even their mindset. Perfect. I think that's a great thought to end the year on. And hopefully it will be one that will, where Ukraine will have an easier path to maintain and its uh, independence and secure all of its territories. Mikola, thank you so much for joining us on Powerlines. Thank you for invitation. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening to Powerlines, from Ukraine to the world. And thanks too to Mikola for coming on. We'll be back in the new year with an episode looking forward to 2024, and the role that business and the economy will be playing in the reconstruction of Ukraine. The whole team at Powerlines and the Kiev Independent wishes all of our listeners a safe and restful holiday season. 
Don't forget to subscribe and rate Powerlines wherever you get your podcast, as it really helps others find our show. To find more podcasts like Powerlines, look up Message Heard wherever you're listening to this podcast and find us on our website at messageheard.com or on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook by looking up at Message Heard. You can also follow The Cave Independent on Twitter and Facebook at Cave Independent and Instagram at Cave Independent underscore official to get the latest news and stay up to date with our coverage. If you're interested in more in-depth analysis of the reconstruction of Ukraine, be sure to check out insights.caveindependent.com. You can also support The Cave Independent through our website.